Congratulations, you're listening to Podcast Rebellion. Welcome to Podcast Rebellion. This is Juke All American, joined as always by Whiskey Wednesday. We're going to talk the Troy... Troy, gosh, this great start. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're going to start talk the Tulsa game uh, very briefly, and then move on to the Kentucky game, which, you know, matters and uh, isn't in the past. But before we do, we'll talk about what we're drinking. I am drinking a glass of Johnny Drum on the rocks. Johnny Drum is a bourbon. It's from the Willet Distillery. Uh, Let's see. It's very vanilla heavy. And I think it's delicious. Cool. I have cracked into a bottle for the first time. It is Old Line Rum. Uh, it is Caribbean rum, but it's bottled in Maryland. Um, and I was in D.C. last weekend and picked up that bottle from a Costco, which is also something you can't do in, in my home state. So, uh, ah, okay. It's, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's a pretty, pretty nice little rum. It's got sort of that like funky caramel taste that some rums have. It, it's good. Is it of the level price-wise where like making a cocktail out of it is kind of dumb or is it like reasonable? No, it's like 25 bucks or something. Okay. For a okay. bit, so not, not bad at all. Yeah. So Johnny drum, uh, I'm looking now it's, it's 101 proof. And um, I think this bottle was 35 which I guess to me is mostly I'm just going to drink this, but I'm willing to occasionally make like a Manhattan or an old fashioned or something that doesn't really drown out the flavor of the bourbon, but you know, uh, is a nice cocktail. But anyway, that's not what I'm having right now. It's just Johnny drum. And now we can talk about football. (laughs) So let's talk about Tulsa first. It was a, close game <laughs> um it it only felt really close at the very end i know that's kind of a silly thing to say because like they they came back towards the end i like obviously it only feel close at the end but um it it just didn't feel like one of those neck and neck kind of games it, final score 35 27 Ole Miss didn't score a point in the second half it was up 35 to 17 at halftime um it never felt like Ole Miss wouldn't win until like the fourth quarter when Tulsa scored that touchdown and I wouldn't say that it, I wouldn't say that it felt like Ole Miss wouldn't win still I mean it was an eight point lead the defense was playing pretty well but it's just like ugh, this could get really weird yeah, it was a really ugly game in terms of just loss of focus. Um, you know, started out a little bit shaky, but then rattled off a lot of points, had a fair number of stops, um, and then we just totally lost it in the second half. Couldn't score. Um, Tulsa, so the more you look at the the box score, the uglier it gets. Uh, Tulsa rushed for 6.1 yards a carry. Um, and not because of any super, super long runs. There was one 47-yard run that they had, mm-hmm. um, but the, the next longest, I think, was 17 yards. Yeah, it was it was methodical. Uh, 
Yeah. And yeah, just terrifying to watch because I don't know if we just schemed against the pass because that's all Kiffin was talking about in the pressers was, you know, how sophisticated their pass attack was. But when it was obvious that they were going to run off tackle, the Ole Miss defense just had nothing at the point of attack to stop it for any less than, you know, a five yard gain or something. Uh, it was yeah. crazy to watch. Yeah. I think there were a lot of things that happened. Um, it is clear that initially right out of the gates, the defense was totally unprepared. Um, they were sitting back in coverage in zone, allowing Davis Brin to just pick them apart with zone beating plays. I mean, it was just frustrating for like two drives to also just easily march down the field. And they scored 14 in the first quarter, then only three in the second. Um, yeah, let me ask you this. If Davis Brin doesn't go out with, you know, whatever ankle leg injury uh-huh, he uh-huh. had, does Tulsa win that football game? Yeah, I, I was thinking about that the other day. Um, I would actually say no. I think, gosh, it's tough to say. I mean, the Ole Miss offense struggled a lot in the second half. Um, but I actually think the defense, more than anything, after they got their feet under them and figured out what was going on uh, after Tulsa's second touchdown drive, um, what seemingly threw them off was actually that uh, Tulsa couldn't pass. And so a lot of what they were prepared for was taken out of the playbook when Davis Brin uh, went down. And so, you know, they hadn't really thought about like, well, what happens when their starting quarterback goes down and it's still a game? Um and I, I think that is a contributing factor to why Tulsa found so much running room uh, in the middle of the game. Now, you know, I will say, like, the defense outside of the first quarter gave up 13 points. And I know that it's like, oh, outside of this one quarter that matters. But um, it was like they got hit in the mouth immediately and then were able to kind of make things work. And maybe that's Davis Brin being out, but you know there were a couple of drives without Davis with Davis Brin where the defense was able to hold and and do a good job. So I, I don't know, I don't know. To answer your question, I, I think it's tough to say. Yeah, I my gut was was yes, just kind of looking at how easily he scored those two touchdowns. But I think you're right. I think they did make some adjustments, and you know it's just it's weird to predict things like that. Um, and I think one of the things that made the game close at the end was Ole Miss kind of losing focus and getting lulled to sleep, which is something that doesn't happen in, you know, a close game. So, yeah. Um, uh, okay. So then I think that let's talk about the Ole Miss offense for a minute. Once again, the pass protection was really bad. Um, Tulsa didn't actually have a sack, but... Jackson Dart was running for his life a whole lot. I guess they were only credited with seven quarterback hurries, but it felt like 27. Yeah. Um, interesting. Yeah. Footnote for that game. Neither team registered a sack. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I think that the outside of the Ole Miss offensive line is actually generally doing fine. Where we're getting letting the most pressure through seems to actually be the middle of the line, uh, guard, center, guard. And that's a little bit troubling because the starting left tackle is a freshman. <laughs> so like, you know, you're going to, you're going to give more leeway to a freshman left tackle. Who's kind of being broken in and all that sort of stuff. That is not currently the problem area. It, it's the interior of the line, just letting people through and you know that's what two seniors and a sophomore with lots of playing time last year yeah I mean it has been weird to watch I I keep kind of taking up for them saying that they'll gel but it's it's not happening the way that you want it to um yeah a, I mean in addition I, I think it, it's Ole Miss is 4-0 so, like, you know, whatever. If they're going to be growing pains, let them happen while you still win. But things are about to get real. And, you know, if they play the way they did against Tulsa, then Jackson Dart is going to be under a lot of pressure. Though I will say, and we're going to get to get to this, um, Kentucky has only sacked the quarterback six times through four games. So they're they're not a pass rush threat. They're they're a good defense, but they're not a pass rush threat. Yeah, yeah, that that might come in really handy. Um, and yeah, in addition to issues, you know, with with pressure up the middle, the like there's been snap issues. Um, yeah. Caleb Warren appears to be hurt a little bit. The starting center and Eli Acker spent a lot of time playing center. Uh, in the Tulsa game and his, you know, I don't think he had any disaster snaps, but it, it was definitely a little shaky. Um, and so, yeah, I think they're in a little bit of, of scramble mode there. You wonder if you could see some lineup shifts or something like that. Like there's, there's, you know, the, the guy we brought in to start Mason Brooks Mason is just Brooks, hanging yeah. out. Um, yeah. You know, and other other guys who can play too, young guys who you know have rave reviews from the coaches and stuff, and you wonder if they're going to try something. Well, I mean, if Caleb Warren is hurt, then they have to try something, and they have to figure out who's going to be, you know, the next offensive lineman up. And I think that there's an inconclusive report about whether he's playing or not uh, against Kentucky. Yeah. I guess also like it's Tuesday as we record this, so. You know, they don't yeah. have to make a call right now. So on the subject of injuries, I don't know if this is on our um, on our thing, and we can circle back to it, but are, are injuries a big concern going into Kentucky? Mm. Somewhat. I mean, th there are definitely some key players that Ole Miss really needs to not be injured that are, in, or at least have been injured. Uh, in, yeah, yeah. On offense, of course, you know potentially Caleb Warren, but also Jalen Robinson, who we heard all summer was potentially the you know most explosive wide receiver on the team. I think that Jonathan Mingo continues to prove he's probably the quote-unquote best wide receiver on the team. 
Um, but, you know, Jalen Robinson adds an element that no other receiver on the team has shown, potentially adds an element that no other receiver on the team has shown through four games, which is, like, ability to make big plays in space. Yeah, ability to get open underneath and then make something happen after the catch, something we haven't yeah. really seen much. Yeah. Um, and then on defense, yeah. Kari Coleman and J.J. Pegues are, you know, vital pieces to the defense and both miss the Tulsa game. Yeah, I mean, you can make an argument that those are our two best defenders. I'd, I'd throw, you know, Troy Brown, Cedric Johnson, Cedric Johnson, a couple of members of the secondary into that conversation. But, but yeah, uh, hardly, hardly any two players have had more of an impact than those two guys, and they both missed uh, probably the entire Tulsa game. Um, if not, then really close to it. Yeah, J.J. Um, Pegues was credited with having participated uh, on the official OleMissSports.com stat sheet, but he didn't accumulate any stats, and Kari Coleman did not participate, so he definitely did not play. Um, yeah. And then uh, Zach Evans also yeah, yeah. seemingly was withheld, you know, just kind of precautionary, because he did have 10 rushes and never never left the field hurt or anything like that. Um, but yeah, his 10 rushes included, you know, a couple of really good ones, uh, including one really nice touchdown, but then they just, they pounded it with Quinshawn Judkins for the rest of the game. Cause also yeah. Ulysses Bentley might be hurt. Uh, so oh, yeah, is, yeah, is he hurt he or at least, play. you know, didn't play. Um, I don't think this is a hot take because we both think that Zach Evans is quite good, but I, I wonder if Zach Evans sitting a bit was a combination of not wanting to get hurt and also Quinchon Judkins going crazy in the game. Because Quinchon Judkins named co-SEC freshman of the week, 27 carries, 140 yards, and two touchdowns. I mean, he was bonkers. Yeah, pretty pretty incredible job by him. Uh, him and Jackson Dart, really, who also had an insane day running the ball. Um, I, those two guys you know, delivered the win in, in a really bad off week, honestly. Um, I think, I think those are the two guys that you credit with it the most. Yeah. So, Hey, um, you know, we are roughly the same similar age, uh, you know, mid to late thirties. So we've been paying attention to Ole Miss for roughly the same amount of time. Uh, if not Quinchon Judkins, who is the best true freshman running back in Ole Miss modern football history? I think I missed Deuce McAllister as a freshman. That's 400 yards. Only... 400 yards okay. as a freshman. I, I looked it up because I was wow. planning to ask you this question. Well, then not him. Uh, nobody. Um, there have been guys who've performed really well as freshman. I think Brandon Bolden had a really good freshman year. Brandon Bolden, 542 uh, yards. I had him pulled up as well. Mm-hmm. As well. So yeah, Quinchon no, Judkins, I... through four games, has 70 carries for 429 yards at a 6.1 yard per carry average. Yeah, I think he's the best freshman back maybe in Ole Miss history. It, it would be hard to name another. Yeah. Um, I mean, Snoop Connor and... Uh, Jerry and Ely were a great tandem 
as as both true freshmen. Snoop Connor averaged six point three yards per carry, and um, of course re- rushed for over a hundred yards against Alabama, which was a a big thing. Um, Jerry Neely, let me pull him up. I don't remember. Yeah, him. that is a good thought. They were both immediately good. Oh, <laughs> but... so I would say that I would say that uh, in terms of production and you know whatever we can argue about that, uh, Quinchon Judkins has a ways to go to be more productive than um, than Jerry and Ely was as a freshman. Though remember, Jerry and Ely was playing with a quarterback who was a runner, so like it was you know a very different level but uh jerry and ely had uh 722 yards for 6.9 yards per carry as a freshman he was insanely good as a freshman yeah that's pretty great yeah um but yeah he's he's certainly up there with anybody uh jeffins is yeah um okay yeah sorry to to derail and ask you a question that's not on our notes Mm -hmm. uh so I think it's a little bit troubling. I mean, we talked about how the pass protection is not good. I think I think Jackson Dart's actually doing fine. Um, maybe not like in terms of volume and all that stuff, but I mean, he seems to be making pretty good choices. He has pretty good touch on the ball. I mean, there were a number of throws that were almost completed on Saturday, um, but he has terrible protection. And he has two wide receivers to throw to. Uh, you know, Malik Heath and Jonathan Mingo are really the only productive receivers on the team at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Jordan Watkins is in there doing the occasional good thing, but I don't think what you want from an SEC, like, number three receiver even uh, at this point. He has six carries on the—sorry, uh, six catches on the season. Dayton Wade has five. JJ Henry has five. I mean, not good. Yeah. And it's been like this. It was, it was like this last year as well in terms of just getting not many guys involved in the passing game. And, and you wonder if it's a talent issue or a scheme issue or what, but, but yeah, you, it's not good. Yeah. I mean, some of it is like Ole Miss isn't throwing it that much. You know, I mean, 24 attempts against Tulsa. Yeah, that's certainly part 16 of 16 against Georgia Tech, 15 against, well, sorry, Jackson Dart had 15 against Central Arkansas. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it seems like what this passing offense lacks, and it, it we don't know if that, it, this is probably Jackson Dart and his, you know, maturity, but the passing offense lacks easy completions to, mm-hmm. you know, get the quarterback in a rhythm uh, to see if you can create something after the catch. It's like every downfield pass is heavily contested. It, you know, there's, there's not much dump off kind of action that, that, you know, really helps a passing offense uh, keep defenses honest and stay balanced and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um. So another thing we haven't really talked about at all on the podcast through the first, you know, few games is Jackson Dart as a runner. Um, so Jackson Dart had 13 carries for 116 yards against against Tulsa. 
obviously it's Tulsa, but to put that in perspective, the most rushing yards that Matt Corral had last season was 195 against Tennessee. That was crazy. We all remember that. <laughs> the second most was 94. That was against Arkansas. Uh, Matt Corral averaged four yards per carry last season. Now, remember, yards per carry are a weird stat for quarterbacks in college because they factor in sacks, which is like a stupid thing. Um, but Jackson Dart is already at uh, 201 yards with 6.9 yards per carry. I mean, I wonder, like, I'm not trying to compare. I, I know I've just compared those two, but I, I don't mean to compare, like, oh, well, Jackson Dart's already doing better or something like that's That's preposterous. But I wonder if, if the quarterback run is a legitimate threat even in sec play for jackson dart i think it absolutely is um the running game you know just handing off to running backs is such a strength um if he you know if he has a strength at this point in in the passing game it's pushing the ball downfield and the combination of those two things really leaves space for the quarterback run and I think he's a really good runner. He's a big guy. He lowers his shoulder. He's plenty fast. He seems to have good field awareness running the ball. You know, Matt Corral had this like uncanny ability of knowing exactly when to scramble and exactly where. Um, and Dart probably isn't that instinctive yet, but he's also bigger. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. And you don't worry quite as much about every carry that he does. Um, I'm, I'm really impressed with him as a runner so far. Yeah. So let's move to defense because also, like, man, we've been talking. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, I think that the, the defensive performance overall, of course, leaves a lot to be desired. We came in expecting the secondary to do a good job bottling up Tulsa, and until Bryn went out, they did not. Um, but I think, like, there, there are some bright spots. Troy Brown is... Uh, tremendous asset to this team and gosh like if they had not gotten him think about how the linebacker position would have would have sorted out and that's not actually me saying that the people who are behind him are terrible because i actually don't think that but you wouldn't have that like tremendous super fast guy who is able to you know make a ton of sure tackles and he's not like a big play necessarily type of guy but he's going to rack up tackles all season long yeah, absolutely. And I think when our, our defensive scheme relies on having guys like that too, because there's just not a ton going on in the like the mid-second level of our defense, I, I think mm-hmm. you need the linebackers who are there to be really active and really productive and really solid. Yeah. Uh, Ladarius Tennyson also had somewhat of a breakout game, 12 tackles, which led the team in tackles. Um Coming into this game, he had eight tackles through four, uh, through three games, and he had 12 in this game. So, you know, a big moment. Um, of course, some of that is just that Tulsa had more success offensively and ran more plays, giving, you know, people opportunities. But I thought Darius Sennison, I mean, I, I remember noting that he was involved in tons of plays and, you know, making stuff happen. So that's cool because yeah, I actually was... had him penciled in as a non-starter uh, headed into the year. So cool to see mm-hmm. him, you know, 
having that impact. Yeah, he was very active, and and several of his tackles that I noticed weren't like, oh god, this guy's you know getting away. You know, um, not a matter of just guys leaking into the secondary and somebody has to make a tackle. It's right, like right. he came up, he came up a lot and made solid tackles. Yeah, uh, I think o- overall, and I've talked about this briefly before, but they've got to start blitzing people. And they did at times like in the second quarter, they, they sent some pressure and that worked. And at times in the third and fourth quarter, they sent pressure. Uh, but early on they didn't at all. And, and actually this is a good segue. Cause I know we, we want to talk about Kentucky, but um, let's, let's table it for just a second and talk about, um, the player of the game for Tulsa uh, in the Tulsa game. So right. for me, um, I'll, I'll take it. Uh, for me, it's Quinshawn Judkins. All right. Uh, yeah. I mean, like I, I said, I would probably give it to Jackson Dart, but Judkins is right up there. I think, I think Dart, I don't know. His, you know, kind of coming out of nowhere to rush for over a hundred yards was pretty big. Yeah. Throwing no, yeah. throwing no interceptions in an ugly game was pretty big. Um, and, and yeah, I, I thought, I think he continues to get better and better. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then your transfer of the game is Jackson dart too. Uh, mine is, is gosh, it's funny. Like you'd think that I had not been the one to write these show notes since I don't know who it is. Uh, yeah, I think you got to go with Jackson Dart. He didn't play a great game, but he played fine. And, you know, let Ole Miss to a win. Maybe it's one of the Ladarius Tennyson or Troy Brown that we mentioned. Um, I think those are the only contenders. Yeah, I'd agree. So, let's talk about Kentucky. Uh, and the reason that I alluded to Kentucky a minute ago when I was talking about um, sending pressure and everything like that is... So I've watched some Kentucky film um, from their first four games. Actually, I've watched all four condensed games, um, which is mostly highlights, but like, you know, 15 minutes of 10 to 15 minutes of highlights for each game. Uh, And they find their most success in the short to intermediate passing game. Uh, And their offensive line is terrible in pass protection, like, horrible uh actually they are 127th in sacks allowed in the country with 16 through four games and remember they have not played you know a a beast of a schedule they have played florida they have played northern illinois miami of ohio and youngstown state and they are 127th in sacks allowed in the country so if they find all their success in the short to intermediate passing game and they give up lots of sacks. Like our defense, uh, our defensive philosophy through the first three to four games has been send three, keep everything in front of you. And I think that is a disaster uh, against against Kentucky. Um, I think the key to success is to pressure Will Levis and 
make him make quick choices, which, you know, like I said, they, they find success in the short to interview passing game because they have good playmakers in space. But uh, if we can get up on those guys and, you know, force their hand at the line of scrimmage, bump, all that stuff to buy some time, I think that's the way to attack this Kentucky defense or Kentucky offense. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I The, the Kentucky highlights I watched, uh, I I didn't watch enough, so I, I didn't see all the issues that you noticed with their pass pro. So my initial impression was like, oh God, they're going to dink and dunk us to death. They uh, do that. They do that. Yeah, because Will Levis does appear very good at quickly making a read, quickly getting rid of the ball, throwing an accurate ball that you know gives the receiver space to do something which totally you know that's tough that's tough to defend you know at the college level yeah and like i also recognize there are people listening to this podcast who are saying like wait so you want to send pressure and also defend the like short to intermediate passing game like those things you know don't necessarily coexist all that well but what i'm getting at there is like um since they give up so many sacks and sacks are such a back-breaking thing when they happen and can, you know, ruin a drive. I think that you go for him. You try to generate sacks against Will Levis, try to make the offensive line break down. JJ Pegues hopefully is back, disrupts the offensive line. You send Kari Coleman, who's hopefully back along with the, you know, normal defensive line. You're only sending four at that point. Uh, and you still have plenty who can play coverage. But I think that like if you can achieve some sacks to kill drives, that you got to go for that. Oh yeah, absolutely, and yeah, I mean they are going to have a good rushing attack as well, or at least they have some talented backs. So yeah, I mean I, I they haven't. Do... Go ahead. I think you got to do the things that you can to put them behind schedule in a way that disrupts a rushing offense. Yeah, this defense has been able to, you know, make it work quite well, especially for the first three games, um, by not giving up big plays and, you know, playing that disciplined, uh, you know, approach to, to defense. But I don't think that'll work against Kentucky. So I think that they need to, you know, try to make some big plays to to break drives in half. Um, you mentioned their running game. They... They've had some struggles. Uh, factoring in the sacks, they've actually only rushed for 2.4 yards per carry this season. Um, but last season, they averaged 5.2. They get Chris Rodriguez back uh, from suspension, who was their all-SEC running back who rushed for 1,600 yards last year. Uh, and, you know, maybe he'll make the difference. Maybe it's their offensive line. Um, but I think their, their passing game will probably dictate how this game goes. Um, will Levis is a very talented quarterback. He's accurate. He makes good reads. I think he only has one pick he's thrown this whole season, uh, on a team that has allowed 16 sacks. So, you know, he's getting pressure. He actually has four. four. Oh, did he? Oh. He had he had one pick early. Let's see. I'm seeing him uh, with four interceptions. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah. Okay. 
So he's thrown... Huh, interesting. So he threw one against Miami of Ohio, one against Florida, two against Youngstown State, and then... Huh, gosh. We need to not let him have the game he had against Northern Illinois, against Ole Miss, which was 303 yards and four touchdowns. Uh, if if he does that, that's probably not a good recipe for success for Ole Miss. Um, I'd agree. He spreads the ball around a ton. Uh, I think they had 15 players who caught at least one pass. Uh, no, 14. Sorry, 14 players who caught at least one pass. To put that in perspective, Ole Miss has had only 10 players, and that includes like the blowout games where we put in everybody and you know uh, people get one-off kind of catches or something like that which Kentucky hasn't had a lot of Kentucky has not blown teams out at all they beat well they believe they blew out Youngstown State but they beat Miami of Ohio 37-13 Florida 26-16 Youngstown State 31-0 and NIU 31-23 um so yeah I mean I'm like those scores don't scare me but there are definitely pieces of this kentucky team that do scare me um let, let's just talk about the defense real quick i know we kind of are trying to wrap up a little bit but uh so kentucky runs a three something something <laughs> and the reason i say that is uh it's their defense is very multiple and there are you know at least two linebackers but whether we're calling the other person playing close to the line of scrimmage, a linebacker or a safety is kind of up for debate, maybe like an undersized linebacker or typically sized safety. Um, so they don't generate a pass rush. Like I said, they've, they've only uh, sacked the quarterback six times through four games. And, you know, they're not sending a lot of pressure, not trying to, to make it work that way. But on the flip side, they are eighth in the country in pass efficiency defense. So, they don't generate sacks, but they their defense plays really well and very sound defense and doesn't give up, you know, conversions and, and big plays at the wrong time. Uh, did you see anything in their defense that was particularly interesting to you? I, I've i not watched enough to say. Um, okay, so... so here's, here's one note. Uh, they have two former Ole Miss players uh, contributing heavily to their defense. Um, That's what I was going to say. Leading lead tackler, Jaquez Jones, and yeah. uh, Keegan Smith, who had a huge pick six uh, against Florida. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, Keegan Smith uh, played safety last season for Ole Miss. He, he started his career at Ole Miss at corner, uh, but played safety last season at Ole Miss out of a mixture of necessity and, you know, maybe having what the coaches thought were better options at corner. Um, and then he transferred in the off season, uh, transferred to Kentucky and is a nickel corner for them. It seemed like, uh, but obviously had that huge play. Jacquez Jones, <laughs> he was the leading tackler for Ole Miss as a sophomore or a junior, I guess, um, because of the weird COVID stuff. Uh, but, seemingly and uh, i'm i'm putting thoughts in his head but it seems as if uh he noticed that chance campbell and mark robinson were going to be the starting linebackers last season and decided to go somewhere that he could start uh for for another two years with his eligibility of a of covid senior and it's worked out great for him at kentucky he's he's the leading tackler there and you know is doing well 
Uh, at Ole Miss, his, I guess, weakness, but that maybe over, is overstating it, uh, is that he's not like the fastest player. Um, he's a very sure tackler and, and good, but uh, you know I think that there were times that he might struggle to get places. But again, leading tackler, he did great at Ole Miss. I'm not trying to down the guy or dog the guy. Yeah, very good player. Um, I think it's it's tough to have him in a two linebacker defense. Maybe that could have contributed to his uh, kind of decision to leave. But yeah, very good player. Um, I think we'll see a lot of him. Yeah. All right. Uh, before we close, first of all, prediction on this game, and I don't mean like a score. Does Ole Miss win or lose? It's uh, Ole Miss is currently favored by seven. I'm going to pick Ole Miss to win, but man, it's it's tough to. Yeah, I think that Kentucky's a really flawed team, but so is Ole Miss. Uh, so that's, I don't know. Um, I, I had a lot of trouble on the tally site pick, or the, the pick that we publish each week um, for this. I picked Kentucky to cover the spread of seven. Um. I think Kentucky will probably ultimately win this game. Um, Cause I think that, you know, with Chris Robinson returning, Chris, sorry, Chris Rodriguez returning, uh, there's an unknown that Ole Miss, you know, may not be able to prepare as well for, and he's a big difference maker. So last question, same thing we've asked each week, has your season expectation changed? And I think last week when we spoke, you were on the nine and three, 10 and two bubble. Yeah, I would maybe shift us back to the eight and four, nine and three bubble because that's, I think we, we right. really showed. Yeah, we really showed the ability to have a, a down game, um, which we you know haven't seen quite as much yet. I, I that that gives me pause. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Also, I think that you know while we while Jackson Dart has been fine, I think we haven't seen him through what should be the four easiest opponents on the schedule other than Vanderbilt, we haven't seen him have a great game yet. And, you know, things are only going to get harder. Yeah, absolutely. I think he has a couple of, you know, multiple interception games in him. Uh, hopefully, you know, we can avoid that, but that the potential is there for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, everybody, we'll talk to you again next week. We will either cry or elate uh, about the about the Kentucky outcome and then it's off to the races peace out yep